Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, episode number 109. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another podcast. It has been a hot minute since I have gotten a chance to speak with you guys with the podcast. A lot has happened. The pandemic has happened and things are starting to come back. I've also gone through some personal things with the festival and had some family things going on and some personal things going on and things are starting to settle a little bit. So I'm definitely trying to get back on the wagon to some create some content and share some intellectual dance content with you all. So I do apologize for silence, but we are trying to make it back again and at least have a podcast out at least once a month or a few times a month versus every week, but we're gonna keep it moving. This particular podcast is with my brother, Jersik. He's out of Montreal. This was recorded before the festival. The plan was originally to release this podcast before the festival. So you guys had a chance to kind of hear his story and get to know a little bit more about him before the festival happened, but we were not able to get it out beforehand, but I still wanted to share it out there. And Jersik will be with us for the Neo Kiss Festival part seven in 2023 next year, July 20th to the 24th. So yes, um, I hope you guys appreciate the podcast and Jurassic story. And yes, let's go ahead and jump into the podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And today we have Montfrere on the line from Montreal, Quebec. Uh, Mr. Jersik, how are you doing today, brother? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I cannot complain. Uh, thanks for taking <laughs> some time out of your day to come and talk with us. And I guess there's there should be some extra thanks because like you told me before the podcast, it's it's tax season. So you're putting in some extra hours. So I appreciate you t- taking some time to be on the podcast with us. My pleasure. It was overdue. Definitely. Man, it's been a while with the with the pandemic because I know that we talked before I left to South America yeah. and then I was in South America and the Wi-Fi situation wasn't the best in South America and I didn't have my microphone yeah. and then I got back and persistence, it, we were <laughs> able to, to make it happen. Exactly. So thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Um, I guess to share a little bit of the idea of, of even bringing you on the podcast is because you are coming to join us to teach and DJ at the Neo Kizoma Festival that's happening this year. And yeah, the dance world is starting to come back a little bit, starting to show a little bit of life after almost two years. And is this your first booking in the US? Yes, actually, it's my first one. Sweet. So (laughs) I don't remember the, the first time that I met you. But it was definitely, I've been to Montreal several times, so it had to be one of those times there. So I know some people haven't heard of you or maybe they've seen some of your demos or maybe a little bit here and there, but I definitely wanted to get you on the show to share a little bit about your dance journey and how you've been like starting in kids and things of the nature because you're definitely one of the, the talented leads that I've seen. And then like, even you've been starting DJing through the pandemic and we can talk about that as well of how you even <laughs> decided to start, um, but yeah. I wanted to give opportunity to come on the show, talk about uh, your perspectives, your thoughts and things and then you just say so people can get to know you a little bit better, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. So little story about me. Do you want me to start from what dance I start first or for anything? Let's let's choose a particular period because for the all of the 
for all of the <laughs> the friends that I've been having with the pandemic, it's been a little bit weird because usually I say, what does your dance life look like today? But today is a weird time. So let's let's reminisce a little bit and say, what did your dance life look like in 2019 before the pandemic? What did your dance life look like before then? Uh, before that, I had my school and we were teaching every uh, every week. Mm-hmm. And let's say every weekend I was at a festival for teaching or just to dance. Mm-hmm. So with that and with uh, the tax season and everything, <laughs> I almost didn't get any time to rest. So let's mm-hmm. say that the, the pandemic helped me to, <laughs> to rest a little bit, but everything mm-hmm. is getting back to normal now and it's that, it's that again. Okay, and just to give the listeners a little bit of context, uh, you are teaching in Montreal, Quebec, yes? Uh, I'm teaching in Quebec City, Quebec. Quebec City, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, thanks for that clarification. Exactly. So Quebec City, I believe, is like an hour and a half, two, two hours from Montreal? Yeah, two hours. Uh, two <laughs> hours driving from Montreal. You can do it in one, one and a half, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I think some of you guys are also hearing the French accent. Quebec is a French-speaking province, if you didn't know, in Canada. So there's a lot of French speakers in Montreal. And if you've been listening to the podcast for any length, you know that Montreal and Quebec is one of my favorite places to go for Kizomba because they have so many opportunities to uh, dance Kizomba and urban kids there as well. So I just wanted to give the, the, the listeners a little context. Yeah, before the pandemic, it was... Every day you have a party. Every day, like like if you want to dance on Monday after work, you will find somewhere to dance. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I remember six four nine with DJ Sync was nice to go on Tuesdays and things like that. You know, exactly, exactly. Okay, so that's how your dance life was before. Mm, Was your first partner dance that you learned? Was it kizomba or did you dance something else before? Um, actually, it's, it's funny because, yes, we can say that this is the first dance, partner dance that I learned, uh, but I just took the um, debutant. Is it an English word? Uh, like the beginner class. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The beginner, the beginner class. And in a local studio here in Quebec City. And then after I went to Europe, I was in vacation. So I danced mm-hmm. a little bit. But uh, when I came back, I don't know what's happened. I, I, I'm not able to remember it. However, I stopped dancing kizomba and started dancing bachata. So, Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I danced bachata for like one, one year. And then after that, I started dancing salsa. Mm-hmm. And the first style that we learn is salsa on one, you know. Mm-hmm. But for a reason, I think that... It was, it didn't suit me to dance on one. So when I learned salsa on two, I think that my life changed. Mm. I was, I was more connected to the music, you know, and if you know me, you know that I'm a really a big fan of musicality and everything. Definitely. So I was really connected to the music. Then let's say I danced salsa for four years doing competition and choreo, everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. So some, some, some commitment. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So I did that for four years and I came back to Kizomba with a new knowledge of musicality and partner dancing, everything. And it's changed, mm. it changed how I see now the dance. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting that you were exposed to Kizomba beforehand, but then went and did more Latin things and then came back to Kizomba. I think that's the first time that I've heard that because my first partner dance was also salsa. And I can definitely relate to what you were saying about dancing salsa on two because it just feels different than dancing on one. Yeah. And But then I I found Kizomba and then from there I slowly started to shift (laughs) over. And nowadays I dance salsa like maybe a handful of times in a year, but it's, I feel I feel like it's a different cardio uh, yeah. when I dance salsa now, you know. And then mm-hmm. it's also interesting, and it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on this. I feel like a lot of the popular salsa songs have not changed for yeah. so many years. They're classics, you know. Aha! Uh-huh. It's like the same <laughs> classics that you dance to, so it's awesome because you know the music. But at the same time, when you compare it to Kizomba, like there's so much new music that's coming out all the time. 
sometimes it's even rare to hear some of the the older songs that you like from maybe even three, four years ago, you know? Exactly. And that's that's what I'm trying to do sometimes when I mix. I like to do a lot of throwback, you know. I like to mm. play I like to play the, the current song, but I like to mix the throwback too. Because they each everyday new people to the scene and they don't they don't really know where we, we, we come from, you know. So mm. I, like, I like to give them the a taste of where we come from to enjoy the same vibe as us, you know. Mm-hmm, definitely. And it's interesting, you use the word throwback and it's, it's, a, it's an interesting word because throwback means different things to different people, you know. Um, for us, like around <laughs> our generation, throwback will be like maybe the the 90s if we're talking about like R&B and hip hop or something like that. But in Kizomba, maybe it's going back three, four, five years, you know. But if mm. you talk to somebody born in the uh, in the 70s, throwback for them is going to be way before, you know. <laughs> so it's very interesting with the human experience to see uh, what inspires nostalgia. Yeah. And that the happiness that you get from nostalgia. And it's kind of like a common human feeling that that we all feel because we all are exposed to different things as we grow up. Yeah. But it's something that all humans can relate to. But different things have a trigger for that nostalgia, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Very fascinating. So before we get into your Kizomba journey, I am curious to hear your decision. When you said before, when you were dancing like uh, bachata and salsa, that you were part of a performance team and you did competitions and things of that nature. Mm. What do you feel in your personality made you feel like to want to commit to do choreographies and, and competitions and things of that nature? Because that's something that I didn't do in my salsa journey. And I feel like I saw some of the salsa dancers dancing, but you know, it's a lot of hours in the studio. It's more money. Yeah. You got to buy the wardrobe. So what was going on in your life where you felt like you wanted to kind of take those extra steps to to push yourself? But since, since I was like a teenager, actually, I always went to school. I always studied. So I didn't really do something for myself till mm. like I finished my first uh, baccalaureate, you know. So mm-hmm. after that, I was... I started working and I had to wait two, two years to have my residency in uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do something. And uh, in the studio, I was speaking about the, the name is Salsa Attitude, actually. And uh, they had a um, beginner class to show people uh, what is Kizomba. And before that, I've just mm-hmm. seen uh, the video of Albi and Sarah. You know what I'm speaking mm-hmm. about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, the one that went viral. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I want to do that. You know? <laughs> then I went I'll there, link I went. that video in the description <laughs> in case you don't know which video that we're talking about. But so many Kizomba's teachers know that video from that, from that time, you know? Exactly. So, so I went there and actually the, the beginner class was, uh, on my birthday. <laughs> so when they did it, I like it. I take the, the class. It was seven, seven week class. I take it. Mm-hmm. But after that, I, I, as I was saying, I went to Europe. I Where had, did you go in Europe? I went to France. Okay. Yeah. I had the opportunity to dance there. Then I went back to my country, Benin. I danced mm-hmm. a little bit. But when I came back, as I say, I didn't have the opportunity to dance a lot of Kizomba. So I switched to Bachata. Mm. Yeah. Did you do any dancing in Benin? Um, no, as, as you can see, and since you know me, you know that I'm a natural bird person. So I don't, I didn't do a lot of stuff when I was in Benin. Mm. And, but I did a little bit of dancehall when I came here, like, let's say from 2012 to 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. So let's talk about how you kind of got hooked to Kizomba because you mentioned you tried it before, but then because of lack of opportunity, you went to other dances and things of that nature, but then you came back to it. Uh, how did that happen? Was it a social? Was it a class? Um, what, what kind of like sparked your curiosity to start back up Kizomba again? No, it was a challenge actually for me because I had someone who duped, had doubt that I can do it, that I can get, that I can be good at it. So I am like when someone challenged me, I, I needed mm-hmm. to prove to myself that I can do that, you know. 
And I started taking class, I started taking private, uh, speaking with teacher. Mm -hmm. And And this was in Montreal? Yeah, in Quebec City, in Quebec City. Yeah. Uh, Who was the person that was teaching then? Oh, you're speaking where it happened or where I took classes? Yes, it happened in Quebec City, you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And who was the teacher that you're learning from at that time? What's his name? His name was Arsen. It's it's a salsa uh, teacher. Mm, okay. But he tried his own bar too, you know. I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a very common thing for the salseros to start teaching kizomba. Exactly. So after that, I started learning. The first time I went to a festival, it was Montreal in kizomba. There was mm-hmm. Laurent and Adelinda. Mm-hmm. So, nice. yeah. So I think that for me, the best ever is Laurent. <laughs> yeah, I, a lot of people would agree for sure. <laughs> but what what I like uh, about him and what I like also about you is the pedagogy. You know how you mm. how you break stuff to make people understand, even if it's complicated, they can relate to what you're saying. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So that's what I, I like the most about it. And I took uh, some private from GP and Steffi, mm-hmm. uh, OD too. Mm-hmm. And the, re- the, the rest was all by myself, learning t- t- uh, learning pedagogy, learning new tricks, trying to apply uh, my salsa and other dance knowledge to my dance, mm-hmm. uh, learning music too, learning musicality, everything. Yeah, so for me, I remember like coming from salsa and watching Kizomba, like it really threw my brain in a in a weird place because I was so used to following the eight count, you know. Exactly. Or if you're dancing on two, you have to hit the two and the six, and if you're off beat, then you have to like kind of find a way to get back on the beat. Yeah. But this doesn't exist in in kizomba or in urban kids or anything like that. So it was really uh, a tough thing for me originally to kind of break free from the count mm-hmm. and then have the confidence to really express the musicality that I heard in that time, you know. Yeah. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. And uh, actually, in my head, when I started, it was only one, two, three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As, you know, you know, they come five, six, seven. Exactly. <laughs> so I did that for, for a while. I think that's one thing who slow my progression. But mm-hmm. when, when I discovered that I can actually draw my dance, you know, like I'm not, I'm not supposed to uh, stay in the one, two, three, five, mm-hmm. six, seven count. I can draw my, my, my dance. I can do one and do seven, you know, mm-hmm. exactly. So th- I think that the thing, the, the thing who changed how I see uh, Kizomba. Exactly. That makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about the pedagogy as you were learning it, because I'm pretty sure this is going to tie into how you teach. So you mentioned pedagogy from from myself and from Laurent. And I feel like for Kizomba, it's we're kind of going to go off on it a little bit of a tangent. I feel like pedagogy is super, super important for our dance because there's so much uh, possibility um, for the steps. You know, once you learn one step, there's like so many possibilities of slowing it down or speeding it up. Uh, going to the side and there's a lot of building blocks, you know? Yeah. And now you're, we're kind of thinking about as we started the things that we struggled with. And now that we are teachers, now we kind of like see our students make those same mistakes that we made when we first started, you know? Yeah. So let's just keep it like, Ed, what are some things or what are some tips that you have for some leaders to kind of help them get on their way to musicality for somebody who's kind of like a newer newer dancer to, to Kizomba and Urban Keys? For someone who is newer in Kizomba Urban Keys, to, to learn musicality, I will just t- tell him to learn his basic step, actually, because even even if he know how to dance, uh, how how to listen to the music, if he's not able to do his basic step, he he won't have any fun. To be mm-hmm. honest, so I really prefer someone who starts to focus on his basic step before learning anything which is musicality. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, like learn learn to have fun on a basic tool, you know. Mm-hmm. Learn, makes sense. Yeah, learn to have fun on the basic two, learn to have fun on a basic three. Uh, your Saida 
do it correctly and then uh, you can try something harder but if you're not able to have fun by doing only your basic obviously if you you get better it's sometimes it's it's boring but if Mm -hmm. you're not able like to have fun with your basics like what the point of dancing actually yeah definitely and so there has to be some level of confidence and i guess there's also something to be said because the journey to get better is like a long journey it takes a couple of years to get really really good yeah so you you have to be one idea that i've had in my brain recently is to do your best for that day you know, it's going to take a while. You're going to, your Saida is going to need work. It's going <laughs> to take some time to get it, but have fun and really do your best. And only you really know inside if you're giving your best. And that's really the best thing that you can do for that particular day, you yeah, know? Yeah. And the next step is just to come back to class and to keep dancing and to try it again. But each time that you go out there, you're trying to do your best for that particular day. Um, and you can have fun along the way, even as you're getting better, you know? Exactly. Exactly. All right. So you started dancing Kizomba. You came back in Quebec City. Uh, you mentioned there's an instructor named Arson. Yeah. And okay, what happened after that? You started taking classes. You started getting a little bit better. And were you still dancing salsa bachata at that time? Oh, when when I came back to Kizomba? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was still dancing salsa and bachata. However, when I took the decision to start teaching... I was less dancing that because I didn't have a lot time, a lot of time to do everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when I start focusing more on Kizomba, it was hour and hour of practice. Okay, and how much time was there between you coming back to Kizomba and when you decided to start teaching? I think I came back to Kizomba around 2018, mm-hmm. uh, 17-18. And uh, we opened the school, I think, one, hour, one, one year, <laughs> one year mm-hmm. after that. Yeah, but we, we put the work in our training. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. I started teaching Kizomba like four months after I learned it because a studio reached out to me and like, hey, do you want to teach Kizomba here? And I'm like, I never taught class before. I, <laughs> I'm not sure. And they're like, don't worry, we'll teach you and we'll help you along the way. And so that was kind of how I first started. So even in my journey now, like I started teaching back in 2013, 2014, some people like when they tell me they like, oh, I'm afraid to say that I started teaching class and I'm like, there's no there's, there's no bodyguard. There's no <laughs> protector. There's no fine. There's no mafia that's going to come and like slash your tires or anything like that because you started teaching class. Like if you're interested in trying to teach, try it and see if you like it or not, you know. And if you do really, really like it and you have a passion for it, you're not going to get any better at teaching by not teaching. You have to get yourself out there and start making mistakes teaching so you can get that experience and become a better teacher, you know. Yeah, but yeah, having the fear to never start is is you're just going to stay be in the same spot all the time, you know. Definitely. So... Tell us about your mindset when you first decided to start teaching. Did you teach salsa or bachata or was this the first thing that you were teaching at all? I teach, I teach salsa a little bit, but it was occasionally. Occasionally, what, I got you. Oh, what does that mean? Occasionally means like every now and then. Okay, good. So it was the right word. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It was a good, good word selection. Yeah, so I did it. I was more focusing on um, what's the name? Jeu de pied. How to say it? It was not uh, partner partner work. It was more when you do oh footwork like footwork. shine. Yeah, on shine. Mm-hmm. It was more on shine. And yeah, I, d- I did it a little bit. Then uh, we start teaching Kizomba. Mm-hmm. That's all. Okay. How would you say your experience went with your first couple of classes that you taught together? Because, you know, the the image that I have in my brain right now is the, um, the image of the iceberg. Uh, you know, sometimes they show like the tip of the iceberg is just like, okay, teach wiki classes. But then when you look under the iceberg, there's marketing, there's promotion, there's um, booking the studio, there's lesson planning and all these things. When I say, when, did I, that- when I say to you that before COVID, uh, I didn't know how much I was exhausted. <laughs> 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 Like like when COVID start, uh, started and we were in containment, 
Oh, bro, like, I, I, I didn't remember my life before. Mm-hmm. I was like, what's happened? I didn't even have the time to rest because I finished working. Mm-hmm. I had other projects and I work on them. Then I have to prepare the classes. And since I'm a little bit perfectionist, uh, the class must be perfect, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> then we have to do the promo. I have to do the administration, uh, book the, the studio, speak with the student who want more after the class or before mm-hmm. the class, everything. So yeah, it was exhausting. Yeah. So with all of these things that you had to do, uh, were you prepared to do all those things when you first started to teaching or was it just like, no, were you, <laughs> it just happened to me. <laughs> I was living my life and it hit me. Mm, yeah. I think some people don't realize all the steps that are required to, to teach. And when it's just two people, it's not a lot, you know, and you dedicate a lot of time. So that's even why I don't teach really the local classes here in Austin, mm-hmm. because to keep a class going week by week by week with all the students and the advertising and the promotion yeah. and the student registration and all these things, it gets really gets a little crazy. Yeah, exactly. And that's why right now I'm not teaching like weekly classes. I'm mm-hmm. just I'm just doing like punctual, occasional. Oh, I, need, mm-hmm. I, need, I need to find a good word. When it's like, let's say I do something one, one, one time a month. Mm-hmm. What is the good monthly. word? You can no. say monthly or I guess it's not really spontaneously. No. But basically it's saying you're just doing things here and there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because now um, accounting take a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. I, I have other projects who take a lot of my time too. So mm-hmm. I'm not able to dedicate myself to weekly classes and do something which is good. No. Mm-hmm. So I prefer uh, occasionally stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mostly just teach uh, like maybe a workshop here and there in Austin. And I travel to do my weekenders and private lessons here in Austin, Texas, just to kind of have a little bit of balance, you know, but wiki classes are definitely a huge commitment. And yeah, it definitely takes a lot of time. And even if you're passionate about it, it's just like, how do you how do you juggle it all with your full time job and everything like that, you know? Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard. It's hard to to keep to keep it going like that. Nice. Do you have any advice for anybody listening who is thinking about teaching? Um, what would you? What kind of advice would you share with them? Uh, to speak first with people who teach mm. and to to see what kind of struggle they they have. And before just throwing himself in the jungle and and started doing uh, shit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, like uh, like learn from people' experiences, then you start doing your own error. But at least you you know that you can uh, go to people who have who have more experiences than you to for them to help you when you it's hard. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so you started teaching in Quebec City. Uh, was this when you were teaching with uh, Isabel? Yeah, yeah. It was um, emoti kids. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice, nice. So that went on for how long and when did you, did you teach up until the pandemic or? Yeah, we teach like almost till the pandemic, like mm-hmm. two, two months before the pandemic. I got you. Then, so for, go ahead. You going to say something? Yeah, I was saying then the pandemic hit and it was over. Mm-hmm, definitely. So I also noticed before, when did you do the the photo shoot? I remember there was a photo shoot that the one for the photo that I'm using. Um, when did that photo shoot happen? Uh, the one you're using? Mm-hmm. It was during the pandemic, actually. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah, I was. And uh, then there was one before. Like there's one with you like wearing like a blue and purple shirt. And it's kind of like the same shirt that you were wearing because there was a video of you dancing by yourself that you did to kind of like show your style. Oh, oh, wait, the, the photo that when, where I'm in white, you asking for that? No, the photo where you're in blue, like blue and like pink or something like that. Blue and, I think the one uh, on the flyer for, uh, Yes. Oh yeah. 
that one was during the pandemic. Actually. Oh, it was through the pandemic as well. So yeah. is during the pandemic when you put out the video of you dancing by yourself? <clears throat> yeah. I, have, okay. I, I had a friend who who's photographer and she, she decided that she wants to take a photo of me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we went out and she was taking the photo. We put some music and mm-hmm. I, I had uh, one glass of gin tonic in my blood. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I really like this song. I want to dance. And she, she filmed it and that's it. Nice. I remember that. I didn't remember <laughs> when it happened, if it happened before the pandemic or during the pandemic, but I remember there was like you coming out to kind of like do your own thing. <laughs> so I will share a link of that in the description in case you want to see it, because I remember, okay, Jersey is now kind of like putting him himself out to, to start, uh, do some solo videos, you know? <laughs> so the pandemic hit and before you mentioned that like you didn't realize how exhausted you were and i can also relate with that as well because i didn't have to organize neo kids just so it was just like oh wow this is what it feels like to <laughs> to, have to have to have time and have peace and things of that nature you know <laughs> so um now that the dance is coming back i guess how was the pandemic for you like emotionally and dance wise and i guess how do you feel now that things are starting to like open back up again when the pandemic started, I was not in a good place, no. But I am lucky that I had friends at that moment who, who support me. And let's say I was not in the good place, but it didn't take long to come back in the good place, actually, because they were, I, I was able to feel their love and their support. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I, I miss dance, but I didn't miss dance so much because I was able to take care of myself. It's been like, it has been six years since I really t- took care of myself, you know? Mm-hmm. So the pandemic, When you say take care of yourself, what do you mean? Focus on my health, on my mental health also, because mm-hmm. I was, I was just living in life, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was just passing by, didn't, didn't took the time to sit down and say, okay, is what you're doing is what you want to do, everything. So yeah, the, that makes sense. Yeah. So the pandemic helped me pause and think about all that. Then I start missing dance because now I was better in my head. So now I start missing dance. And I was not able to dance. So I call Sink and I say, Sink, you know me that I love music. It's been a while since I want to uh, make people discover how I listen to music, how I mm-hmm. enjoy it. So when are we doing the first private? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we do the first private and I start missing a little so this was a private to learn how to DJ. Did you have any experience about DJing before you took this private with Sync or did you start from like square one? Zero experiences. <laughs> I called him. We went to buy a small controller. Mm-hmm. He was with me. Then Which we, controller did you get? Uh, it was a Numark. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, a small Numark. I don't remember. Multi, multi-track, I think. Mm-hmm. I got you. Yeah. And did Sync recommend Rekordbox or Serato? Um, it was the less um, expensive for my budget at that moment because I didn't want mm-hmm. to put a lot of money inside. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it was on Serato. <laughs> so by, nice. by default, I start with Serato. <laughs> I got you. Are you still with Serato now or? Yeah, I'm still with Serato. Okay. I started with Serato as well. And then I think after a few years, I switched over to Rekordbox because I know Serato has some, Rekordbox has some ways to kind of classify the music. But usually for people who are starting to DJ, you don't need to make it too complicated. It's like, it's important for you to learn how to beat match and all that kind of stuff first. And then you can figure out how you want to kind of like manage your music uh, libraries and all oh, that kind of stuff, you know? This is so exhausting. I manage my, uh, my lab library almost mm-hmm. two, two times a week. Like I'm yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I don't like it here. No, it mm-hmm. will be better here. 
Yeah. But the thing is, it's like different songs had different tags, you know, like, hey, this song has a violin. It's Ghetto Zook and it's a female singer <laughs> and it was made in 2014. So depending on the mood that you're in, you can choose that song for multiple reasons, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, share with us a little bit your mindset as you were learning how to DJ and did it inspire you? Was it frustrating? Did you almost give up? I didn't I didn't give up because it was really something that I wanted to do. So I really didn't have any reason to give up. I could have given up because when I started beat matching, you know, it was a little bit hard. Mm-hmm. But the chance that I had was I didn't start from the scratch actually. I started with someone who had experiences. So he mm-hmm. he gave me shortcut. But when I say shortcuts, mm-hmm. not shortcuts on the technique, but is like don't do that because it will take you too long to learn. Mm-hmm. Like do do, yeah. the, do this instead. So you had more of like a roadmap. Exactly. Exactly. It makes sense. It was not. I, I. I don't want to say it was easier, but it was. It was easier for me to start. Actually, I think it'll also be a little bit easier for you as well, uh, being a dancer who's already heard a lot of DJs and things of this nature. So you have an idea of like the ambiance that you want to create. Maybe you don't know exactly how to do it, but you have an idea of like what you what sounds good to you at least. Yeah. Yeah, but actually, I work. I work a lot. Like. Almost, almost every day I was mixing, I walk a lot. Mm. And I walk a lot on, on my craft. So that's one thing who helped me become good. I think that I'm a dis- decent, decent and good DJ. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not where I want to be right now yet, mm-hmm. but I think I'm a, I'm a really good DJ. And I think when you're learning things, like the more you learn, the the more you realize that you things you don't know. Yeah. You know, so it's the same thing with dance. It's like I don't think any dancer can be like, oh, I'm I'm the dancer that I want to be, because if you're really learning and you're really training, mm. um, you're going to uh, realize there's so many things that you don't know. And of course, you don't have to know everything to be like a really good dancer. Mm-hmm. But at least for me, that's what really inspires uh, like some humility. Yeah. Just realizing how big the world of dance is. And your brain can only process so much information at one time, you know? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) It's like, take time, take time. It will take time, you have to work, but take the time also to see where where you went, where you come from and where you are. Mm. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I remember during the pandemic seeing some of the things that you were sharing on on SoundCloud to kind of let people know that you were starting to mix and things of that nature. But actually, um, actually, I did it for myself because to challenge myself, you know. So mm. the the first one that I put out, I think it was in September. Mm-hmm. I was in Benin. I started mixing in July. And I went, I went back to Benin and it was in September or October. And I put, I put out the first one because I want that each time I put something out, the next one is better than the one I did before. So it was to challenge mm-hmm. myself, you know. Nice. So you're coming out of the pandemic. I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I saw that you were DJing at a party in, in Montreal with Sync. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did that go? Was that your first time DJing live? No, no. When I was in Benin, uh, as I was saying, early in October, I was DJing. Mm-hmm. When You're DJing for people? Yeah, for people. Okay, so there's Kizomba in Benin. Yeah. Okay. There was Talk a little <laughs> bit about that. I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> there was a festival uh, in February, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's the name? Fred, Fred Nelson and mm-hmm. uh, his partner, they were there. So mm-hmm. actually... Morgan. Morgan, exactly. Morgan. We think Kizomba in Benin, actually. I did not know. I know it's it's not, you know, if you go to Paris, like you have festivals that are happening all the time. But when you're in Africa, I think maybe we're, I'm not as connected to know what's going on in the scene there. But I know in Nigeria, there's a guy that's like teaching there. I don't know if there's any festivals yet. No, um, there's, but there's not fe- no festival in Nigeria. Uh, mm-hmm. th- there was one in um, Ivory Coast. Mm hmm. 
uh, and Benin, actually. That's the two that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Nice. Do you know when that scene started? Like, I know it takes a while to be able to have some classes there and then have enough people to feel confident to run a festival. When I started dancing, I went, as I say, I went, um, I went in vacation in, in uh, Europe. Then I went to Benin and people were already dancing to Zomba there. So, yeah, it starts a while back. Interesting. That's good to know. Uh, maybe if there's like a Facebook group or something of that nature, we can put it in the show notes so people can check that out if they want. Yeah, I will send it to you. Sweet. Okay. So you came back to Montreal and so you DJed some more. I know that was like one of the first parties that happened in a long time in Montreal because I know Canada is kind of strict with the COVID regulations. It was the first. Uh, yeah. Official. How was that experience? Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I was not stressed. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, uh, a little bit nervous because it was mm-hmm. the first, but I was not stressed because I know how much work I put behind it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, whatever happened, I can handle it. Mm, makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah, preparation. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so as we get closer to the uh, end of the podcast here, so you coming, you're coming out of the pandemic with like better mental health. Um, you're starting to dance again. I've seen some videos of you with some other follows now. You learn how to DJ. Um, how do you feel your vision is feeling? Uh, moving back into dance and kind of finding that good balance, you know? How's how's your perspective now? Before the pandemic, I wanted to do everything and to, how to say it? I wanted to do everything and to expose myself and to show myself to the world, you know, before the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. right now, I want to do things that I like at my own pace, you know? See, mm. so if I feel that I want to teach here, I will. If I don't feel it, I won't do it. If I want to DJ, I will do it. If I don't feel it, I won't. And I, I, I didn't have the, I, I don't have the need to prove anything anymore. Mm. This is not because I, the best, but because I'm comfortable with what I'm doing, I'm comfortable with how I'm learning, how I'm teaching. Mm. I'm comfortable with what, what I can produce in my quality. So I don't feel that, that need anymore. Like I'm just enjoying the process right now. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, it's, it's important to be happy with what you're doing and you have to make sure that the things that you're doing really resonate with what you want to do and not what you feel like you should be doing, you know? Exactly. That, that exactly what it was in my mind. Nice, nice, nice. So I guess let's talk a little bit before we end the podcast, a little bit about, I guess, your, your dancing. And um, you said that you're not teaching right now, but uh, you, are you living in Quebec City or in Montreal? Uh, I'm living everywhere. <laughs> 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 but but most, most of the time I'm in Quebec City. Um, I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit about uh, musicality and when it comes to training and sure what has been kind of your practice coming out of the pandemic. Um, have you felt that your style has changed or do you feel like you've maintained it? How's been kind of like your, I guess your, your passion for that? I think that my, my style changed a lot, changed a lot before the pandemic. I was, how to describe it? I really don't. Actually, what do you think my style is? I feel like that's a hard question to ask, um, because it's, it's kind of like a moving target. (laughs) <laughs> or it's a hard it's a hard question to answer because it's a moving target and I feel like I would have to have more exposure to your style to see you dance to different types of music and sure and maybe mm-hmm. with different follows mm-hmm. as well. Um because different follows inspire different things out of you. Exactly. Different songs inspire different things out of you. And yeah, it, it also depends on like what you prioritize, you know. There, there could be things that a dancer doesn't do because they don't prioritize or they don't like those things, but it doesn't mean they're, they're not able to do them, you know? Yeah, I don't do a lot and of there's some, <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of things that we don't do because uh, we can't do them because we're, we're not at that level yet. And I feel like 
only the dancer knows really what they can do and what they can't do and what they choose not to do and things of that nature. So it is hard to answer about somebody's style if you haven't seen a, a ton of videos. Okay, okay. Uh, I got so, you. I know from from so from my limited perspective, if I were to attempt to answer your your style or your your answer your question about your style, I will definitely see there is a priority for musicality and smoothness in the footwork. Uh, I would say I think maybe a commonality that we have is that we're comfortable with turns in our urban kids because we have the salsa background because I feel like that's also really rare to see like spins and things like that in, in urban kids. But for me, it feels, I don't know. It feels like nothing. It feels very natural for me to, to spin my follow. And I feel like maybe another commonality between you and I is that, you know, some people are more like the disturbed people. They just want to like hug and like stay and like, like be in each other's energy. And I feel like maybe uh, from my limited perspective, it feels like our dance styles, we like want to do more advanced footwork and syncopations and playing of different positions and things like that, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly, actually. But I don't do it at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're tired, and again, it depends what's, what's the music, you know, at 2 a.m. If it's like slower, then it depends. Or... If the floor is really packed or if you're like now, okay, I've, 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 I've put out my energy. I feel good about the night. Now I want to just relax. There's also uh, a time for that as well, you know? Yeah. But to, to answer, to answer your question, I think my, mm -hmm. my style visually change, but my foundation doesn't change. I'm still focusing mm -hmm. my dancing on musicality and on mm -hmm. precision. No, mm -hmm. uh, like that's something who's really important for me to lead correctly and be mm -hmm. be able to give the follow the information and be able to give her the right information without putting her uncomfortable. No, exactly. So this foundation doesn't change. But I really like my lines. Like, mm -hmm. please respect them. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that That's actually why uh, my DJ name is the JC Stripes. Mm -hmm. Because I really like Stripes. And it was perfect with my obsession with lines also. <laughs> Definitely. I feel like it just opens up so many possibilities uh, to have those clean lines, you know? Of course, sometimes you can do spins and angles and too, but essentially a circle is many lines that mm -hmm. have been kind of like put on top of one another, you know? Exactly. And one thing I, I like to say to my student is like, if it doesn't respect your line, you're killing your creativity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because nice. you're, you're playing too much with your balance. It's not nice. Mm -hmm. And I feel like just like if we take a look at the way that we are anatomically designed, we, we walk in a straight line, you know, we don't walk in <laughs> all kind of crazy lines, you know. Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Okay, brother. I know when we're preparing for the podcast, um, there was a quote that you chose to kind of like inspire or share some advice with our dancers. Can you share that quote for us? And the reason why you chose it? This is something which is really important for me. The the quote is, do you want me to say it with my uh, sexy voice? or <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for the ladies that are listening <laughs> the podcast, I'll let you do your thing. <laughs> no, no, it's just what, what seems hard now will one day be your warm up. Uh, it's every, every, everything is my life is showing it to me. Uh, when I started DJing, it was hard. I walk a lot and now it's less hard. And I know that in one year it will be less hard again when I start dancing mm -hmm. and this person had ducked uh, on me. It was hard, but now it's less hard. So every, everything, every time you're starting something and you think that it's, too difficult to continue if you really want to do it like time time will help you just walk and time will help you yeah it kind of goes back to what i was saying before it's like do your best it's okay to push your comfort zone 
and don't beat yourself up like the best thing you do is to do your best even if it's not what you want at the level you want or something of the nature do your best and then repeat show up do your best and repeat and like keep keep practicing you know that's really the best show up, thing show up it's really important because you still can want to do your best but if it doesn't show up mm-hmm, exactly show up. yeah and if you do show up and you don't do your best and you're just kind of like not challenging yourself then you're also just kind of like wasting your time you yeah, know yeah nice brother thank you all right so if people wanted to share or i'm sorry if people wanted to follow you on social media uh what platforms um what should they search for to to follow you online uh most mostly i will say on instagram Mm-hmm. and on SoundCloud because I, mm-hmm. I really don't use a lot Facebook so it's okay. more Instagram if you want to speak with me and on SoundCloud if you want to hear my music okay and what's your uh, username on Instagram? Jursic uh, C-H-N C-H-N so J-U-R-C-I-C C-H-E-N there is a um, a dash a a underscore dash. yeah underscore yeah underscore exactly. uh, underscore the one at the bottom yeah? yeah 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 underscore okay and i will put that link in the show notes as well so people can follow you and i'll also put a link to your soundcloud page Ça marche. awesome and just so you guys know thanks for listening to the podcast uh Jersic is going to be at neo kids in july here in austin yeah, yeah, texas yeah. he'll be teaching and djing so uh, make sure that you come and you know, listen and you know, the the previous edition all like all the previous edition where I wanted to come to Neo Keys I, I, mm-hmm. I always had uh, an examen in accounting <laughs> mm. so, so the first time that I'm coming I'm going to share my passion so I'm really happy about that yeah that's awesome that's awesome brother I appreciate it alright brother thanks so much for joining us thanks for sharing your journey and I'll be seeing you soon ça marche merci beaucoup Thank you so, so much for listening to this whole podcast. Wherever you are in the world, I'm definitely appreciative of you spending some time with me on this podcast episode. And if you made it this far, I can only assume that you are a fan of intellectual dance content. So if you are interested in checking out other things that I do online, I have a blog, I have a YouTube channel and I have an online membership site. You can check out all the things I do at neokizomba.com slash links. Again, that's neokizomba.com slash links. You can find the show notes for this podcast, all that and more on the site. And once again, I appreciate you so much. And if you are willing to support the podcast, you can always buy me a coffee to help with the production cost, the hosting cost and things of that nature. And we can continue to create more and more intellectual dance content for you and other dancers around the world. Thank you so much. Everybody.